Welcome back to XR at Work. Today, uh, we are doing an episode, and it's the first episode in a three-episode series around ROI and XR. Super important topic, and uh, we're excited to bring it to you. So, Scott, you want to tell about kind of the cadence that we have coming up? Yeah, we we did an episode here previously where we just talked about the three that are coming up. So just as a quick recap, um, we did a survey or a poll out on LinkedIn, and we got your feedback of what what is it you'd want us to talk about in depth in a three-part series. And so this is the first of three episodes we're going to release in uh, in June. Our first one here is, uh, is today. You're watching this on June 13th, and we're going to talk about factory use cases and ROI. Um, the following Tuesday on the 20th, we're going to dig deep in ROI as it relates to safety use cases. And then a week later on a Tuesday, June 27th, our goal here, shall we pray, is that we can get out this third episode. And so we have these three dates, the 13th, the 20th, and the 27th, to talk about these three episodes. But today is episode one of our three-part series talking about the ROI of XR. And so, Dane, tell everybody what we're talking about today and why this is important, why we're doing this. Yeah, so our goal for the conversation today is to arm you guys with some kind of base knowledge on just tools that you can use to, to kind of understand uh, a baseline to be able to measure you know, what the difference is from the baseline uh, that XR generates. Uh, I think we're also going to be sharing a case study. Uh, we have two case studies that we'll actually share with you guys, and these are just uh, examples of manufacturing type use cases uh, and how uh, value can be measured you know, in those applications. So uh, our intention here is is hopefully to give some some uh, you know support material, if you will, if you're getting ready to go and present some ideas to leadership. Uh, a challenge I think that Scott and I have found you know in this space is that uh, everybody you know is pretty tight-lipped about the amount of money that they save, uh, how they're measuring their metrics, you know, all those different types of things. And so, we're trying to give some example content for those who maybe are you know, struggling this in this area or just getting started, um, so that you can use that as a template when you go to have conversations with management. Um, so, you know, Scott and I, this is, uh, I would say these are tough lessons that we've had to learn, you know, along yeah. the way yeah. and making sure that you have a hard dollar values associated with uh, the XR applications that you're looking at. It's really important, especially in the beginning, I would say, because, um, you know, in the beginning, you're kind of, uh, you have to prove yourself, right? And you have to prove the technology in order to kind of get to the next step where you get funding. And so I think particularly in the beginning, you know, making sure that you find a good baseline and then you, you know, effectively measure the metrics from that baseline is really important uh, in order to be able to, you know, continue to get buy-in for future uh, projects. Yeah, I wish it were the case where as new XR practitioners, we didn't have to, and and you and our audience maybe wouldn't have to convince people of, you know, the, <laughs> the return on investment for this, but in reality, right, you're going to get asked, um, how much do you think this can actually save? This costs a lot of money. You know, devices aren't free. How much are you going to save us? And you're going to have to get into some of that. And so we're just trying to give some ammo, right, Dane, on mm-hmm. on how to maybe look at this and how to start approaching some of those conversations. Yeah. And I've also found that, um, you know, there are some people who are very excited about the technology. There are some people who are not very excited about the technology. Yeah. And, 
you know, money always speaks. And so if you can put together a compelling case as to why, you know, the technology makes sense, then you're not debating on whether or not, you know, somebody believes in XR or not. You're debating on the hard dollar value of opportunity. So um, this has been really valuable, I think, for both of us over time. So, Scott, I know you got some tools uh, yeah. that you want to talk about. So. Yeah, so this is also the first time that we are on XR at Work. If you've been watching the show, this is also the first time that we are trying to um, share some content on the screen uh, and, and give you some visuals. So um, I'm hoping everyone can see this. Dane, you can see it, right? Yep, I can see Good. it. Good. All right. And so uh, I will say this. We're going to attach... Uh, our supporting documents, case studies that Dane's talking about, uh, the examples, some of these metrics, some of the definitions. We're going to attach them to the post. If you're looking at this on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're going to try and attach this stuff so that way you have it as well. And we're also going to try and turn on, I'll try and, and remember how to turn on chapters on YouTube so you can just <laughs> jump to chapter three, which is when Dane starts talking, uh, <laughs> if you want to skip through through me. So um, what I wanted to just walk through a little bit this uh, th- this morning on, on this is as we look at um, these sorts of conversations, this is a couple of caveats, right? One is, is this is my experience. I work in additive manufacturing. I work in uh, for a manufacturing company that has multiple factories that make multiple different products, multiple lines in a factory and uh, old machines most of the time. And so this is something when we talk about uh, some of these metrics and these acronyms, it this is all new stuff that I learned. I'm in my first manufacturing company in my career. I come from a technology background. And so when I started getting into some of these concepts, this was new stuff for me. And so I'm just going to share my experience, my um, uh, past, my history with this. I would encourage you to dig into how some of these terms are used in your company. I would also encourage you to have conversations with the right people there to make sure that you're looking at things the right way. Do your own research, okay? So with all of the caveats having been said, here's how I look at this, right? So um, looking at this at this chart, when we talk about ROI, and this is the first time, I had a project about three, three and a half years ago that came up where... Um, we wanted to prove a return on our investment because devices and software are not free. Labor is not free. There's an investment that the company has to make in XR. And of course, it came up to, well, where are we going to try and apply this? What is a, a, a way that we're having problems now in the factory that this could help um, have a positive impact on our uh, on our production. And so my quick deal here, right, is that when you think about a production line making a product, right? So the machines run and they run in perpetuity. And we would all love, and I'm sure your company and my company would love for them to run forever without scheduled or unscheduled downtime, right? But we're going to talk about uh, mean time between failure the mean time between failure is the amount of time that a machine runs in between that machine stopping for a mechanical uh, issue, 
for a breakage, for, for a problem there. Now, there are, certainly there are planned outages, right, which don't count in this. You know, we don't, we don't try to have a better impact on how do we keep things going in between planned outages because planned outages in our world, in my day job, they happen. Uh, they're scheduled. And that's when preventive maintenance occurs. That's when training can happen. That's when things happen there during the planned outages that need to happen. So we're not talking about planned outages, planned uh, scheduled downtime. We're talking about we're talking about the machine broke unexpectedly. So here you'll see we have uh, correct behavior, machines running on the left, right, and then this big X is we have a failure. Okay. After the machine breaks and goes down, we have these phases of diagnosis, repair, and then back into correct behavior again, like we had before. Now, if you look at from the time the machine goes down, the first X, to the time the machine goes down again, that is mean time between failures. Now, you can look at what's called, some companies would call it mean time to repair, which is we look at it in our company as the diagnosis and repair is actually the mean time to repair. So really what you're looking at is keeping machines running longer. And then when they do go down, the amount of time it takes to get them back up and running, how do we shrink that? So how do we expand mean time between failure or mean time to failure? And how do we decrease mean time to repair? Again, two numbers that we, metrics that we look at a lot in my job, right? And Dane, I'd appreciate your input as well, how you guys look at it in your company. But we look at keeping machines running longer. And when they do break, the amount of time it takes to repair them, how do we decrease that? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And these are, I mean, this is an important metric. This is how you actually get the baseline for uh, determining how successful you are after implementing XR. So Scott, do you want to talk about that? Like uh, in your experience with most of the businesses that you've you know talked to or work with, do they have good metrics on this right off the bat? Yeah. So um, yes and no, right? The answer is always it depends, right? So we can go in and I'll put these notes in the in the comments as well. Um, <clears throat> what I would say is a little bit before that day, though, XR can play a role in all of these phases. So we have tools at our disposal in extended reality and augmented and virtual and mixed reality that can keep machines running by analysis and predictive analytics. We have tools that help with diagnosing the cause of the failure. We have tools that help our maintenance people repair them faster and more accurately. So XR plays can play a role at every one of these stages. But I think, Dane, you bring up a great point, and that is that You've got to, number one, you've got to know your metrics, right? If you go into a factory, and I'm talking to our, our audience, right? If you go into a factory and they say, um, we want to reduce our repair times when a machine goes down, the first thing I'm saying is, is okay, so tell me typical repair times for an unplanned outage during a failure, right? And if they say, well, we don't know. It just it just takes too long. Well, I can't help. It just takes too long. I can put tools in place and I can tell you after the tools are in place how long it takes to repair. But if you don't have something before that baseline to compare it to, 
you don't really know if, if it's decreasing or increasing the time of diagnosis and repair. Right. So would to, you say, to your would point. you say it's fair to say that, you know, in the case that somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I really want to use this, but you know, I don't have any baseline data. Is it fair to say that like, this is where you start those, you know, finding the mean time between breaks, you know, all that stuff. Those are kind of the metrics that are used. Obviously, you know, like you said, everything depends, but you know, in a situation in manufacturing, it feels like those are some pretty easy first go-dos, you know, that you can get uh, to kind of understand what's going on. Yeah. I would say if I walk into a plant and they say that they're not capturing, they can't tell me how long a machine typically runs. And when it goes down, how long it typically takes to um, repair it. What I've done in the past, right, is I'll say, all right, so we're going to go put some solutions in place that are going to try and keep them running longer and reduce the repair times. But let's do this. While we're standing up those extended reality solutions, we need to go ahead and start capturing some codes. We need to start baselining. Even if we only get a couple weeks um, or a month of, of, of tracking in place while we're putting solutions uh, in the factory, that's at least something. I'd love it if they have the last five years of repair times by error code categorized and we can go, all right, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this or that. They're not going to have it in a lot of cases to your point, Dane, but we can go ahead and maybe start getting an understanding of, well, when this machine, it typically runs days before it goes down. And when it does go down, um, we can usually have it back up and running in most cases um, in anywhere from two to four hours. At least that helps, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not super definitive and it's tough to quantify days and a few hours. It's better if you have exact number of hours in both cases. But if you have to just take a swag at it, right? At least have some idea of mm-hmm. what we're talking about. So, yeah, no. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, the hard value dollars. That's generally what, um, you know, when you talk to management, uh, you know, money talks across the organization. And so um, it's always good to start with creating the hard dollar value uh, because also whatever money you save buys a lot more headsets (laughs) and other things. And so uh, it's always good to start there, but there is soft value in a lot of these applications as well. And, you know, for example, you might be able to, uh, make the experience more enjoyable for people. We we hear that a lot, um, you know, where people go through the experience and some of the folks who are more seasoned and, and have, uh, experience the new way and the old way or like, where was this, you know, five years ago yeah. when I was going through training, like this is way more fun and it you know takes less time. And so um, just wanted to kind of caution as well as like, you know, the, the hard value is super is, is where you should focus, but there are a lot of soft value things that you can talk to on the periphery of this as well. I think you bring up a great point, man, because um, when I think about a machine down at 3 a.m. and Someone can grab a HoloLens or a tablet and get the information they need to be able to repair that machine and get it back up and running. Yes, it does have a positive ROI impact on the production in that plant and that machine and that production line getting back up and running and continuing to make products. But if you ask those people 
what else they liked about that, they'll tell you, yeah, it it got me up and running faster, but I also like the fact that I didn't feel like I was alone. I was able to remote expert someone in, have them help me out, and it reduced my anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. It was an easier thing to consume in XR on a tablet or a headset than normally, you know, looking up, look at stuff on a three ring binder. So there's those soft mm-hmm. skills, like you say, it makes the employee experience during a difficult time better and it gives them some confidence and it just, you, you can't quantify that necessarily, but mm-hmm. they'll tell you that it's, it's a, it's a better experience in the middle of the night when the machine goes down to have XR than to be scrambling around and not have it. Well, and I mean, there's value to be said too for, you know, the subject matter expert that doesn't get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning because, you know, somebody was able to figure it out and diagnose it themselves too, right? So from a quality of life perspective and a retention perspective, as much as we can stay out of people's kind of, you know, personal lives and make sure that they have free time, you know, the better and, and, you know, more willing people are going to be to to come to the table when things are really going south and we need them. That's right. So what I'll say in conclusion on kind of my stuff, right, is that know the metrics, know how your reliability group or your maintenance group or your uh, management in the factory uh, views um, runtime and outages, kind of what's important to them, what are they trying to impact. Always start with the why, right? Always start with what is it we're trying to have a positive impact on be sure that they have some baseline. You know what the definition of success is before you go in and design and implement an XR solution and then subsequently track the positive impact it has, has, has had. Once you've had a positive impact, you've got a real story to tell, right? You can go and say, hey, um, typically repairs on this machine take uh, you know, four hours after we put XR in place guided workflows, a remote expert, or digital work instructions, we were able to reduce that time in the next three months by 50%. And then work with your business folks to be able to tell that story of if a machine's typically down for four hours and we've dropped it now down to two hours, that's half the time that that machine was normally down, that we can have it back up and running, pr- making products. And you'll know when you look at the burden rate of the machine, you look at the cost of the goods, pr- uh, the, the value of the goods produced that you sell in the market, you now know um, hard dollars as to what that positive impact has been on your production and your OEE in the plant. And so be, able, be ready to tell that story. And this is not just a video series that take and go do. And Dan and I are going to go on about our merry way. Reach out to us, right? Reach out to somebody in the XR work community, Dane or I, or someone else and talk through this and, and use us as a community to be able to help with crafting some of these stories that you want to be able to tell. So that is really important that you can be able to tell those story, have your numbers. Uh, and, um, uh, it's a lot. I know it is. Well, I, I had a thought too uh, there, Scott, that, and I know it's not something that we have, uh, you know, we've created content for, right? But we also talked about planned outages, which the nice yeah. thing about planned outages is you, you do have a lot of metrics about, 
how long it takes you to do X, Y, and Z. Generally, mm -hmm. they, they know a lot of metrics because they have to plan it every time. And so that might also be a good opportunity to look at where it's like, hey, right. you know, instead of waiting a week for an engineering contractor to come out to the plant and take a look, you know, can we scan our area and give it to them so they can do it remotely? Or, you know, can we, you know, instead of waiting until a facility is built out in order to train the operation staff, can we train people ahead of time so that by the time the facility is up and running, you know, they've already been training on the, the virtual model and can hit the ground running. Um, so I think there's there's opportunities even beyond just the operations piece of it. It's you know, also how do you rethink projects and things like that. Um, but, you know, we just wanted to give, you know, some examples. So, so maybe that's a, a future uh, piece of content that we put out as well. But I think it's, yeah. it's important to call out that it's not just operations, right? I think that's interesting, Dane, because if you think about it, a planned outage that you don't recover from in the time allotted has now turned into an unplanned outage, right? If you yeah. go down every Sunday, we have factories that go down every Sunday for schedule maintenance. And if it's Monday afternoon and you're still not back up and running uh, because something went wrong in your unplanned in your planned outage on Sunday, you're now an unscheduled outage, right? You're now losing production time. And so making those scheduled outage windows run efficiently and effectively and have some advanced planning and being able to provide tools for them to go off without a hitch means that you go in and out of those as scheduled and you get back to production on Monday morning and you don't now find yourself again on Monday afternoon going, ah, Lee, we're still down from when we went down on Saturday night. So that's a good point, Dave. Yeah. Well, and in, in my industry, right, the we call them turnarounds. Um, yep. But turnarounds are a 10, you know, 10 plus million dollar uh, thing. And it's, you know, several months worth of downtime. And so if you can reduce you know, a 60 day outage to a 55 or a 50 day outage. Yeah. I mean, that's a reduction of millions of dollars worth of yeah. opportunity. cost, And so uh, that's another thing. So I, I just wanted to, to call out, you know, we're yeah. focused specifically on, you know, kind of the, the training, you know, applications, the, when the machine is running type operations, but there's, there's applications outside of just that, that you can also quantify and have right. really valuable. So we have like, so in, on our lines, we'll have a, a production line that will make a, a, a million products, a, a run of them. This is for conversation's sake. We'll make a million pieces. And then that's in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we do what's called a make ready, where we retool the machine, get it ready to do a different product. Then we go run a million of another product in the afternoon. In between that, we call those a make ready. Uh, and the make ready means you're down, you're changing everything, and then now you go back up and you you produce something different. Those make readies are planned outages, but we absolutely want to reduce those make ready times because the faster we can execute on a make ready and get the machine back up and running, making the new product, that's money, right? And now all of a sudden we go from we can only make two products on this machine in a day to if we reduce those makery times, we could potentially make three products in a day or four products. And so uh, scheduling uh, loves it when we can do that, right? When we can reduce the amount of even scheduled downtime in between product runs. 
I was going to say, I think the other group that really benefits from this is quality as well. You know, we've, we've talked before okay. about like, um, you know, a challenge that we run into is uh, like, in, particularly in training is that, you know, every trainer will teach it differently, right? So you can go through the same PowerPoint, but every trainer is going to have different comments on different things. You don't have any standardization, you know, et cetera. And so the nice thing about, you know, XR and some of the digital technologies that we have is that you can, you can make sure that people have a more homogenous experience across the board. And so if you can really lock down on the quality piece, then, you know, if you have your, your make ready time where you reduce the time to actually do the make ready, but you also come out of that and your quality is high, you know, consistently, then you don't have to worry about, you know, shutting things down or, you know, customers returning product or anything like that because you're reducing the overall variability because you know everybody trained on the same content. Um, so that's another piece I think that's really important. Yeah, everyone's got a different way to train. Everyone learns differently. And if we can standardize that, I know that's big for us. It sounds like it is for you guys as well, Dane. If you can standardize mm -hmm. that and be consistent, you can train people on the right way and you have less quality issues and less less variance there in in execution you bet so now you had you had a couple of kind of case studies in mind Dana, you wanted to walk through anything you want me to throw up on the screen you wanted to talk through or is that something you just wanted to to, to do verbally yeah so uh i have a i have something that i think will be fun is i i have this case study right now like like scott said we'll go ahead and publish uh, the two case studies that we put together. These are just examples of, you know, company XYZ in this space is doing this so that we can kind of walk through the things that we've talked about, uh, you know, as we've gone through this. So, uh, Scott, what I'm going to ask of you is that you can be, you can be my uh, consultant, if you will, uh, as I walk through this and uh, we can start talking about how you would tackle, you know, this, uh, this type of thing. So I'm just going to okay. read it from the screen. I think the text will be too small if we share it. So okay. uh, I'm just going to read it for everybody. And and like I said, you're my consultant. So we'll talk through gotcha. the scenario. I have some notes and stuff, but I think it'd be interesting to hear kind of, you know, stream of consciousness thoughts from you as you're going through this. All right. <clears throat> so this is the uh, case study too. John, a new employee at company XYZ was assigned to operate a precision milling machine used in manufacturing of complex parts. In addition to training... In, addition, in a traditional training approach, John would have required an extensive period of hands-on training to become proficient in operating the machine. However, with implementation of VR technology, John was provided with a virtual training simulation that replicated the milling machine and its operations. Within the VR training simulation, John was guided through a step-by-step -step process of setting up a machine, loading the necessary tools, and executing the milling operations. The interactive nature of the simulation allowed John to practice and refine his skills, ensuring a quicker transition to operating the actual machine on the shop floor. So I'm going to pause there for a second because I think that's that's a key thing. And I don't think we've talked about it a whole lot yet is the replication uh, being able or re repetition. Sorry, better, better way to say it. The repetitive nature of doing training in virtual reality, for instance, um, that's one challenge that we've had in the past is like, you know, if I take down a machine because somebody has to come and physically train on that machine, then I'm losing throughput, you know, the whole time mm -hmm. that they're on the training. Mm -hmm. And so there are two challenges with that. One, obviously you lose the money that you're making from having downtime on that asset. But two, that person feels stressed. 
because you have to limit the amount of time that they can actually spend training on the real asset because you can't just have it down you know, all day long in order to maintain rates. And so in some situations, like I've seen situations where, uh, hey, you know, we're going to pull this machine down so that you can train, but you only get 30 minutes. And that 30 minutes only happens in situations where, uh, you know, a machine's already going to come down or, you know, they're having issues. And so what happens is like somebody onesie twosie can train all the time, but it's yeah. only for 30 minutes at a time and it's never one after the other consistent. And so like humans are really good at learning things quickly if we have a lot of repetition. But mm -hmm. if there's no opportunity for repetition and there's not a lot of time, it takes us a long time you know, to learn how to do particular skill sets. And so I think uh, that's a really good thing to call out in the, the VR you know, aspect of this is like the repetition in a safe area. The other thing is like, I don't know about you, Scott, but like the traditional training locations that we would use are not very comfortable to learn in. Like right. it's hot, you know, it's loud. Uh you know, there's forklifts going by, you know, whatever. And so, you know, not only are we trying to give somebody constrained timing on top of, you know, it being like a high pressure situation, they're also stressed because they're in an environment that's not comfortable for them. And so right. I think that repetition in an environment that you can have a safe conversation with your trainer is really a valuable, you know, piece to call out there. So I just wanted to pause there. Sorry. I know I kind of went on a, a rampage there. But no, what that's are your good. Thoughts? No, I get, th I get this a lot, Dane, right? When I go out to plants and they, I, I look at how training is happening now in the factory and it's <clears throat> largely, it's exactly what you're saying, right? It's okay. Maybe you're not in the mood for it, but we've got to do this right now. We have a, we have a scheduled outage. And so get on here. Let me show you how to do this. And it's, it's loud. It's hot. It's distracting. It's stressful. And in essence, what we're saying to the trainee is, is we're saying, get good at this real quick because time is of the essence and we've got to get the machine fired back up, right? You've got to finish learning this before they get their scheduled preventive maintenance procedure done because when they're done with the PM, you're done learning and now it's go time. And so what we do is we put people in these over and over and over again, we put new hires or, or, or new people in a job function into these situations where we expect them to learn a lot in a weird environment quickly. And if they've got it or not, time's up. The preventive maintenance procedure's done. You've got to get, get on doing this. And it's like virtual reality answers that call, right? Like to your point, Dane, if we can take them off and let them do this in a climate-controlled, noise-controlled, lighting well lit, you know, lighting controlled environment and give them ample time to learn at their own pace and to build the muscle memory without having to worry about whether the machine needs to go back up in 10 minutes or not. That's a good day for that trainee. Absolutely. Well, and I think there's also a bunch of auxiliary benefits that come from this. And Scott, let me know if you've had the same experience, but um, we sometimes do training in VR with a, like a group. And so one person, you know, goes through it, then you have your, your cohort of people who are watching. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is, you know, it's a little awkward for like the first one because you have to find the, the brave person who wants to put on you know, yeah. the headset for the first time. But the cool thing is that once everybody's been through, you know, one time, then effectively they can give each other pointers. And so it's not mm -hmm. only like, can you 
you get the benefit of actually being in the headset, but you get the benefit of watching other people, you know, make some mistakes and being able to coach them as well. And so we have, we actually have people who like will cast VR to a, a TV and we'll watch, sure. we'll have the other trainee essentially give coaching as they're going through. And it's super helpful. And then, you know, you can do things like gamify it as well. So you can make it yeah. where, you know, if you do it in a certain time without, you know, getting like, uh, without making any mistakes or whatever, you know, you get higher points. And then, you know, so it's, it's also like a, it's a social thing. You're building social interactions with people around you, which again, these are soft skill, you know, metrics, but I just wanted to call that out because I think that's a, a common thing that you see across a lot of different trainings is the repetition is important. Yeah. And what, you know, kind of to the, the, ROI of XR uh, topic for our podcast episode today is what you're talking about, Dane, gets people, it it removes the training from happening on the floor, right? Which means that production numbers stay as high as possible and they're not reduced because of training happening on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. Reduces, if you can quantify it, I guarantee you, it reduces uh, safety concerns on the floor, right? And it gets... It, it, it gets to the number of, if you're looking at uh, quality, if you look at defects before this virtual reality training was put in place, and then you look at defects after, right? The numbers are going to show you that a well-trained, confident workforce that was trained in virtual reality going out onto the line now is going to produce less defects, right? And so we're not talking about keeping machines running necessarily or recovering from uh, uh, failures faster, but we're talking about the ROI of what's the cost of a defect, right? And quality defects in production cost the company something. They cost your company, they cost my company, lost materials, lost Mm -hmm. time, lost sales, lost revenues. And this is a good thing, right? If you can find a way to tie this training that Dane's talking about to quantifiable values, uh, out on the, on the floor. That's great. But I guess to your point, there are soft values and soft ROI tied to just having a better trained, more confident workforce that's done the repetitions in a, in a less distractive environment. Right. And there's, so there's hard and soft values that are going to be realized. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this uh, this use case study. Okay. That I, that so we've got our we've got so our guy part. in VR. Okay. Yep, he's been trained, and so once proficient, John moves to the shop floor, where the virtual assembly line optimization system played a crucial role. Using VR, engineers and process experts collaborated to simulate different assembly line layouts and workflows. By analyzing these virtual models, they identified potential bottlenecks, rearranged equipment, and optimized the workflow to minimize idle time and maximize productivity. So this is more of kind of like an industrial engineering type of application, but I think it's equally interesting. It's a way that, uh, I, I think it's kind of more data heavy, right? So, you know, you think about like, you know, in aerospace or something like the amount of time that an operator or a, a technician walks back and forth to the tool yeah. chest to pick up a thing, like that's a ton of wasted time, right? And so, I think in situations we're seeing this too in the um, in like um, um, you know grocery stores and stuff like that, like understanding 
grouping products that people buy together, you know, using eye tracking and VR headsets and other, you know, things. Uh, there's a lot of kind of process improvements that can come from the data that you can get from a VR headset that you may not be able to get, you know, in a traditional, you know, time study like like this. Um, so I thought that was, you know, that's an interesting yeah. thing to call out to you. And you can, uh, you, you can glean ROI from the learnings in this instance. Absolutely. I think it's a little further out than maybe some of the hard ROI that we've been talking about. But I guarantee mm -hmm. you, you start getting into some of these conversations with some of your engineers and what you're learning in the virtual reality simulations are going to open some conversations up on the, uh, you call it industrial engineering. Uh, I've heard it called imaginary engineering. We don't use that term, but it's, it's you know, it's some of that, um, some of that, you know, how do you organize the line in the amusement parks, you know, to maximize flow, same sort of thing. How do we better optimize uh, the workstations to um, reduce some of the uh, time it takes to do things and some of the thrashing back and forth. You're right. Well, thing about like ergonomics and stuff too, I know that we have yeah. EHS, you know, it's coming up next yeah. time. Uh, so maybe That's we'll right. save that conversation. But, you know, from an ergonomic perspective, understanding how people interact with their sure. environments, incredibly important. Um, and, and as you know, Scott, that can be, that can have some hard dollar you know, value savings as well. Um, from sure. An ergonomic perspective. Okay, last last paragraph. Uh, additionally, uh, VR technology was employed in training on the quality control process. As parts were manufactured, virtual replicas were created and inspected by quality control personnel. Within the virtual environment, inspectors analyzed the parts for defects, measured critical dimensions accurately, and verified adherence to specifications. By catching potential issues early in the process, company XYZ minimized work, reduced scrap rates, and ensured only high-quality components were delivered to their customers. So I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier around you know, the quality aspect of things. As much as you can standardize on things and make sure that people have a good uh, experience and everyone has the same experience um, that helps with with quality rates going down dramatically you know something interesting I heard I wanted to say Dane is 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 we did a uh, I had a conversation with a training manager in a plant uh, a couple of months ago and I asked like I said hey are, are you tracking why people leave um, you know do you have any numbers or any data on why people leave and of course um, there's a lot of that stuff, like to your point earlier, companies don't want to share. But one of the things that I learned right. there was that one of the big reasons why people leave is because they don't feel like they were trained effectively enough to be able to do their job well, right? And that's it's it's a it's a reason why people leave. People want to do a good job, and if they don't feel like they've been trained to do a good job, they make mistakes, they get yelled at, they feel bad, you know, and no one's ever as hard on me as I am on myself, right? Absolutely. If I make a mistake, maybe I don't get yelled at, but I still feel poorly about, because I want to earn an A. I want to do well on my job. And so to your point, right, um, I want to produce uh, good products at a high output rate. And if I don't feel like I'm trained to be able to do that, I'm going to feel bad about that, right? And eventually it's going to have a negative impact on, on my uh, uh, stability and, and confidence as an employee. Yeah, I was going to say mastery is one of the number one tenets of fulfillment. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. that's that's all of our goal as we go through and we learn different things in life is like we get fulfillment out of kind of mastering or getting really good at different things. Right. And if you set somebody up for success or 
if you yeah set somebody up for failure and they don't have the ability to even you know from the get go you'll be able to make those gains you know it's it's a frustration you know from the very beginning um, and you know the other thing that we didn't even talk about you know here Scott and maybe in one of these upcoming episodes we can provide some statistics as well but across the board you know turnover rates are going up and so. Mm-hmm. Not only is the quality of the training important in order to reduce the amount of time you know, to proficiency for that person, but it's important. It's a critical for a business because, you know, turnover rates are higher than ever, and I, I don't think anybody foresees that going down. And so, with you know people who have experience leaving the organization faster than they ever have before, being able to replace that knowledge is an incredibly you know important thing and businesses that execute on that well will do really well and those that don't will have a real hard time i think yeah yeah it's you know turnover is you're right is absolutely a a big issue a lot of our listeners today are 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 running factories or industrial uh, facilities in places like dallas or cincinnati or cleveland or you know chicago where there's a lot of competition for factory workers and when you bring someone in new and don't set them up for success, they're going, man, I, I was, I felt a lot better about myself and I had a higher output and, and I was better at my job where I came from. Maybe I should go back there. Maybe I should go somewhere else where I can catch on quicker. We need people's time to efficiency. I think is, is what you call it, Dane, right? Their time to productivity. We need that increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, Scott, that was the end of my uh, my case study there. Um, yeah, no, I think it's I, I think it's great. I think it's I think things that we want people to to take from this episode, right, is that there are um, there are ways to deploy extended reality technologies that will have an impact on some very specific low hanging fruit metrics, right? And um, you need to be partnering with your people, your maintenance people and reliability people and quality people and production supervisors on the floor to really hone in and target your efforts to impact those metrics. Like we talked about repair time and keeping machines running longer, but there's a lot of different ways that you can have a positive impact on the ROI in your factories by deploying XR that aren't always necessarily super, super easy to quantify, right? So we talk about retention. It's tough to say XR had a positive impact on retention of our employees, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. So we okay. hope that everyone got something out of this. Any any parting thoughts, yeah. uh, uh, suggestions or, or yeah. information for our audience today, Dane? No, I mean, I would also love to, to just hear your guys' feedback on this. You know, was yeah. this helpful? Um, is this... Uh, too in the weeds for you? Is it too basic? You know, is there a, a partic- particular way that you've thought about problems in the past or metrics that have been helpful for you and your team? You know, comment below, uh, let us know. I'd love to to kind of start this conversation because, you know, as Scott and I have talked about, um, there's not a whole lot of good data or FYIs on on how to do this, um, you know, within, within the business world. So, um, right. yeah comment, engage with us, and uh, we'll be sure that we comment back. And I'd say if if you're watching this episode and you are like super into proving the value, uh, quantifiable ROI of XR as, as you've deployed it in your company, we've got an episode coming up 
on safety use cases. Uh, we've got an episode after that where we're going to talk about some more enterprise use cases. Let us know. Drop a comment. Reach out to Dane or I. Maybe we have you on to share some of your information in one of our future episodes. And so that's just kind of it. Today we talked about on the factory floor. Next week, come back and check us out. We're going to talk about the ROI of putting XR in play as it relates to use cases in safety, which is or should be a big thing. And everyone listening to this is uh, into their day-to-day, right? Absolutely. Great. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a week. Put your comments in. Dane brought a good point up. Put your comments in below. Reach out to us. Let us know what you liked, what you'd like to hear more about. If you have some thoughts about calculating ROI through the use of XR in your day job, please comment below. Share it with the community. That's what we're all about. Thanks, everybody.